1: Welcome welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) Fantastic show uh, planned for you today. I think it'll be just as good as yesterday's show, uh, but we're going to spin off into a different direction. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this, but uh, Cat Williams, the comedian, sat down with Shannon Sharp on Club Shay Shay and nearly broke the internet. In an interview that I, I find a lot of synergy with as it relates to the Charleston White-Cam Newton interview and the impact it had, uh, Cat Williams, man, said a lot of very fascinating stuff on Shannon Sharpe's podcast. And, and I've been forced into a position today where I'm going to have to once again uh, praise Shannon Sharpe. And you guys know I really don't like praising Shannon Sharp, but I gotta tip my hat to him as I've done previously. Uh, Club Shay Shay's an interesting, fascinating, uh, obviously super successful show. Uh, Shannon Sharp is landing great interviews, and he's doing a great job with the interviews. <laughs> I gotta admit that. <laughs> I mean, I got and and hats off to him, uh, but. For the most part, although we'll bring Steve Kim on at the end and we'll talk about uh, the Shannon Sharp aspect and the success of Club Shay Shay, for the most part, we're going to deal with what Cat Williams had to say, because I think it has tremendous connection and synergy and crossover with the stuff that we talk about on this show and what's going on in Hollywood. And uh, it, it just, here's someone high up in that industry squealing on that industry. And and he, he's a different version. Hopefully he doesn't spin off the rails like Charleston White. Hopefully there's more substance and legitimacy and authenticity. Not that I'm saying that Charleston White has none of that, but hopefully there's a bit more to what Cat Williams is saying and the way that he carries himself and a bit more truth uh, to what he's saying than, than, not not that there's not, but Cat Williams sat there with Shannon Sharpe and without not using a bunch of profanity, not lacing the entire conversation with the N-word, he broke down what's going on in Hollywood and what's going on in the entertainment industry and and got at some of the negative repercussions of all that. And so it's a good jumping off point. Shamika Michelle is going to join me to talk about uh, some of this as well. And then we'll talk with uh, Steve Kim. But we'll spend the, spend the first part of the show playing you some of these excerpts and clips and highlights from an amazing interview that, you know, uh, showcases like what I think we're headed for in 2024. Cat Williams kept talking about 2024 is going to be the year for truth. And, and, and maybe it is. And maybe it's more people uh, waking up and taking the scales off their eyes about how things are really going down. And I I watched it, Watched it's two hours and 45 minutes or two hours and 46 minutes, and I left there a bit more hopeful. Uh, But before I get to playing these uh, clips, I want to take care of one of our great sponsors, Samaritan Ministries. Even though we're into 2024, it's not too late to take a look at healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries. It's not insurance, it's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. And because it's not insurance, they're not bound by open enrollment, so you can join any time of the year, even today. Check out these three reasons Samaritan Ministries could be right for you and your family. One, you're part of a Christian community. When you have a medical need, fellow Samaritan members send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills, and you'll do the same for them, all while praying for and encouraging one another. Two, There are no networks which put you in control of your family's health care. You know what's best for them, so you choose the doctors and hospitals you go to and have a say in the treatments that that they receive. Three, you set your start date. Join today and start with health care sharing with Samaritan Minis right now, or join today and choose what month you'd like to start. It's up to you. Whether it's a broken bone, cancer, pregnancy, or other medical emergencies, you'll find comfort knowing you're connected to 80,000 Christian households across the nation who stand ready to care for one another spiritually and financially during a time it's needed most. And it could be more affordable than what you're paying now. Go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless and join today. All right, uh, need to take care of that business Now let's get to Cat Williams in what I'm calling Cat out of the bag. I mean, because, wow, Cat Williams was out of the bag. I mean, he said some incredible things. And I'm going to start with, uh, guys, I'm going to start with number six. I'm going to start with SOT number six. Won't go in the order that, that won't go in... Perfect order here, but we're going to start with Sot number six, where he goes right to the heart of many of the things that I have said and talked about, and what the price of fame and success is in Hollywood. If you're not willing to bend over and and get involved and get violated and and have your sexual morality shifted. You can't operate in that Hollywood space comfortably for long, but I'll let Cat Williams tell you. Play Sot number six. I, I My goal
2: was to get this far in Hollywood and still have a virgin hole <laughs> and I never have sucked a penis. That was my only goal. I didn't want to... Get with a white woman because I was scared. She might have me running down the street like Jonathan Majors. you're going to be, come on, cat. Not because I didn't like white women. I think white women are as great as any other women. But I'm not going to act like I'm not scared of them. I have a reason to be scared. You could be Kang the Conqueror and they could take your rabbit ass down in two weekends. And that's the truth of the matter. So I stayed away from that. And remember, I told you the drug story from when I'm in the park. Yeah. So these are just the things. I had all of those when I came in. I already was ready for that. That's what they don't like.
3: I did not know you sh- you're telling me and showing me a side of the business that I didn't know. That you guys, are comp- man, the
2: competition, the competitiveness. That's all business. I don't care if they're selling Coke. You wouldn't believe the things that Coca-Cola says about Pepsi. You wouldn't believe the water conversations between Dasani and Liquid Death. Like in all business, in all sport, competition is a driving force. And I don't require anybody to be better. Who am I? I just require if you're a loser and you've taken shortcuts at every chance and you've made sure that you didn't put anybody on that really had a work ethic and was a God-fearing person and you helped. If that was never you, then don't act like that's you. Don't want to get out here now that you don't do stand-up and start acting like, oh, you're not sure why you don't do stand-up no more. I heard you got run off. You better be careful that run you off going to show up and he going to tell everybody. Man, what you going to be able to say? Nothing. Why you think I speak with such clarity? I'm actually involved in each one of these stories I told you about. (laughs) Right. Right.
3: The one comedian, as we've been sitting here doing this interview, that you hold in very high regard is Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle walked away from 50 million. You said it was more.
2: Tell the story. That's right. I want no, let you tell it. I, no, you're. you're no, the I best. want you to tell it. You really are the best. You proving it here today. <laughs> as much as I'm proving it, you proving it. You proving it. Um, yeah, that wasn't the thing. It wasn't people say that he lost 50 million dollars. No, no, that's not even close to what happened to this dude. And until you understand what happened to the dude, you don't understand what happened. Like no, not they offered him 50 million and he turned it down. Who gonna turn down 50 million? Now I've had to turn down 50 million dollars four times. Four times just to protect my integrity and that virgin hole I was telling you
4: about. (laughs) Right.
2: Uh, Because P. Diddy be wanting the body, And you got to tell him no. You got to tell him no. I, I did.
1: What. What have we been talking about on this show? What have I been trying to explain to you all and about the power of this alphabet mafia. And and I'll connect it to yesterday, and even I don't want this conversation to be about me, but I do just wanna say what organically comes up in my head and mind, but we're not gonna linger on this. But I've been on this show, trying to connect the dots between racial idolatry and how they've used that to marry black people to the LGBTQ and how this whole Illuminati, this whole power structure is built around the LGBTQ using black people, making them go through the initiation process of being violated anally to get in the club, to get access to be a billionaire and a power player in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. And it's across the board and Cat Williams is calling it out and I can't do nothing but I did I had no idea that Cat Williams would would be the guy that sits down rationally. And you you got to watch this whole interview and I I know I used to hear about the Cat Williams arrest and I just thought Cat Williams was crazy and I I literally I thought Cat Williams was on drugs and Cat Williams doesn't consider marijuana a drug. I do he doesn't, but he smokes marijuana, smokes cigarettes, but he says no, he doesn't use any other drugs and he considers himself completely sober. The man is smart and most comedians, particularly high level comedians are smart. And they got, they got into Cat Williams' background story and all of it was fascinating. I'm not sure if I believe all of it, but it was all fascinating. Listening to Cat Williams' background story and how he unpacked it and then these pearls of truth that he was unpacking, I buy it, I believe it, I know it. I've been talking about it on this show. And so here's someone who's been in the middle of the comedy, movie, entertainment industry. That's telling it all. Taking all the mystery out of it. And. Hats off, Cat Williams. And just like I said, at the beginning, hats off Shannon Sharp. Although. <laughs> When I finally get to talking about the Shannon Sharp angle, I, I'm going to add a little nuance because there were many things Cat Williams said that you know I was like, uh, you know who Shannon Sharp's running around with, and and why the, the entire system is backing Shannon Sharp. And and I want to be clear, Shannon Sharp has talent. He's turned himself into a heck of a broadcaster, but. Somebody's putting batteries in his back as well. And someone has thrown a lot of support around him. And, and Shannon Sharp running around BFF with uh, his designer, makeup artist. I, I don't know what this dude's name is. He's sitting courtside with that seems pretty tutti fruity. And so, it, 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 anyway, it seemed fascinating. Kat was talking about all these things with Shannon Sharp, who's basically getting the same treatment as a lot of people that Cat Williams is referencing, it was fascinating. And how Shannon controlled the conversation and let a lot of interesting things get said, but didn't go to all the follow-up questions that I or someone else would have gone to to make Cat clarify. I think I want to play SOT number three. Uh, and this is fascinating because Cat Williams uh, really hits a note that will ring true to anybody that's been following me and this show uh, when he talks about race. And and anyway, let, let's play the clip and then we'll come back to shot number three where he talks about race. If you
2: sign up for their program, you get a light skin. Weird face wife that never do an interview. Uh, Listen, in 20 years, won't do an interview. Nobody's ever talked to her and she's never been interviewed anywhere. And now understand, I'm not talking about one person. What I just told you applies to seven people. How they all end up with that. That's part of what you get. I came in this business saying I was going to expose when I talked about Michael Jackson. When I talked about R. Kelly, they canceled me for these things, because why would you talk about another black dude? Race is not where the line is drawn. It's God's side and the other side. And we don't care nothing about the other side. Period. Period. All of these uh, big. Deviance is all catching hell in 2024. It's up for all of them. It don't matter if you diddy or whoever you is. T.G. Jakes, any of them. The, all, every, all lies will be exposed. That's all. And, and, and anyone who takes that the wrong way, know why they take it the wrong way. The truth is the light. And you have another one of these. Amen, amen. Gee. <laughs>
1: I'm listening to this. I'm watching this this morning, and I nearly fell out of my chair. I actually nearly fell off my stairmaster because that's where I was listening. And I'm like, "Oh, this dude is leaving no stone unturned. He's connecting all of the dots." And and I I think he may be right. That, that like this will be the year. That you got the Epstein files coming out. You got all this political desperation, we're in a presidential election cycle and, and people are just going to start exposing everybody because out of desperation, out of, out of like we have no other option because it, like the Biden side and the left side knows if we don't destroy Trump, we could end up in jail because we've been trying to put Trump in jail and Trump knows if he doesn't win, he could end up in jail. And when people get this desperate, the only weapons they really have is the truth. And so it's like, now I'm going to tell you exactly who these people are and what's been going on. And, and, and they're making you. And again, this may be the Trump side of or the, the people that want a more traditional America, America. They have said, release the hounds, put it all out there, make it so. And, and Or maybe there are people that believe like the Freemasons, the demonic side of this, they have to tell you what it is they're doing so they can continue to do their wickedness. And maybe that's all this is, is so that you can't be in denial, that, that when you go uh, uh, support this celebrity or this idol, or you support this political movement, they they don't want you to be able to say, well, we didn't know that they were pedophiles. We didn't know that all this sexual deviants, uh, we didn't know they were behind that. We didn't know that they were the ones that put our children in, in, in jeopardy at school. We, we didn't know that they were the ones that initiated men competing against girls and women In sports. And so they're letting you know, like P Diddy, all these people got puppet strings on them and their initiation process to become power players in the media industry was bend over. Spread them cheeks. We got a little surprise. This is the initiation process. And you've heard me on this show talk about Remember when I, I watched the, and I watched it like three times, the documentary, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick, and they told you about Skull and Bones at Yale, I believe. did not that, that where the Bushes went? They went to Yale, not Harvard. Wherever Skull and Bones is. That's little secret society. John Kerry's in it. Bushes are all in it. And they exposed during that part of the initiation process for Skull and Bones and that secret, powerful society that comes out of these Ivy League institutions, you had to hop in a casket and get violated in your booty hole. This is not a secret. They're letting you know. And this all, everything that I was telling you about yesterday in terms of like sexual deviance and how they've taken heterosexual lust. And, and made us go so deep off into that and, and swim so far out into the ocean that we're out in the ocean again, and I, I said it yesterday, we're out there like, oh, the LGBTQ, they're out here too. The pedophiles, they're out here too. The transgenders, they're out here too. The feminists, they're out here. And, and, and that's why I'm sitting here shaking like, wake up, swim back to shore. Get right with God. Practice immodesty. It's our mistakes, our sexual lust, our giving in to sexual promiscuity that put them in position to have power over America and over cultural norms. And they're using that power and they're turning you out one by one. I'm going to place Sot number five because it connects to Sot number three, where he brings up Ludacris. And he and Ludacris, the rapper popular Ludacris, are uh, in Cat Williams' contention, offered an opportunity by the Illuminati. Let's play the clip.
3: Are you related to uh, Luda?
2: No. um, So there was a crossroads where we were both invited to an Illuminati thing. And it had to be one or the other of us and decisions had to be made. So it was both of us. We were equal. One of us had to cut off all their hair and couldn't do the sideburn thing no more with the points. And the next person they said was going to get 200 million dollars because they were going to pay him 10 million a movie to do 20 movies. And that's how the conversation happened. One of those persons turned out to be ludicrous, and the other person turned out to be Cat Williams. <laughs> now, one person ended up with a light-skinned, ugly-faced wife that's never done a... Remember I told you that if I say that, it apply to seven people? Yes. It's part of what they give you. Okay? I didn't get it. I'm not mad about it. How much money did they give? Two hundred... Sir... Fast and Furious is on, on what number it's
3: right
2: ten. now? Ten more. Two hundred men. hundred might need to get me one of the more women to look, to look, look, to say. That's what they all end up saying at the end of the day. Kevin told you he won't go wear no dress until they offered him the dress, and then he put it on. And what did he say after he wore it? I made my own decision. Duh. But you didn't make it before they brought it up, did you? It's okay. All right. You have a lot of politics. Never talk about it. I'm not that controversial.
1: <laughs> he's talking about Kevin Hart there. He, he, he's and, and so we'll play SOT number one next because he he's right. Re- I'm not playing these in order in the way they were unpacked on the show, but I'm paying them in order in a way that connects and is proper for this show. He's talking about Kevin Hart. And, and he's talking about the deals that get put in place. And and again, I was never uh, at that level uh, out in Los Angeles and in Hollywood in that industry. But I've been through the experience of being recruited by one of the major agencies, two of the major agencies, but CAA in particular, Creative Artists A. And I can remember the first time I ever got the recruitment pitch from CAA. It was probably in 2006 or 2007, right around the time I'm I'm at the height of my popularity uh, because of the Don Imus thing. And you sit in a meeting with these guys from CAA, and there's—it's just like the movie Entourage, where Ari, Emmanuel, and a bunch of his underlings would all be sitting around a table, and they'd all stand up and tell you these great things they're going to do for you, and what's going to happen with your career. And they point this—they create this big visual image. And, and because I'm different and stupid. And, and at the time, I didn't realize the power of these seeds that my grandmother and 25th Street Baptist Church planted in me. But I can remember sitting there going like, oh, my God, this is overwhelming. They making me feel like the biggest potential star in the history of sports media. And oh, my God. So you leave out of there on cloud nine like man, the world will be my, it'll be, it's like, if you've seen the movie Scarface and Tony Montana, uh, walks out, I think it may be after he kills Frank, his drug boss and, and the blimp comes over and doesn't say the world is yours or something like that. And it's a great scene in Scarface and, and that's how you feel Leaving one of, when a major agency, like creative artist agency recruits you and they put that whole speech on, they tell you how great they, that's like the baby step for initiation into the Illuminati. And so what they sit back and do is, yeah, how did that, how did Whitlock or whoever we just put this speech on, how big did their eyes get? Did they come out there and say, uh, I'll do anything. Oh my God, just tell me what I gotta do. I'll sign up, I'll do anything. And, and when, if they hear that kind of desperation, and, and trust me, when you bring in uh, guys that just got out of prison, that are rappers, guys that uh, didn't go to college, can barely read or write, uh, have IQs in the 70s and 80s, uh, were, have no relationship with their father, Uh, you know, their family is all destitute and strung out. They hear that pitch from a music industry or from whomever, and they go, whatever, I'll do anything, Diddy, what, what, just tell me what I got to do. And then Diddy and them go back to a room and say, hey, we got one. Next meeting we we, we have for them, we'll make the real pitch. And so I want to play SOT number one, and, and Kevin Hart, according to Cat Williams, and I tend to agree with him, is like, yeah, Kevin Hart's a little bit funny. But he ain't the kind of funny where he needs to be the richest man in comedy. He, he, he's not Richard Pryor. He's not Eddie Murphy. How come all of this is happening for Kevin Hart? How come he's the go-to person in, in, in uh, the com- comedy world? And Cat K- Williams' contention is that he took the deal. That w- when when the power bro- he called him the Illuminati, or whatever. But he, when the power people, the people that actually run Hollywood, when they set Kevin Hart down, he was like, <laughs> "Whatever, I'll do it." Cat Williams is saying, "Man, I got so much talent as a comedian." I don't have to take your deal. I can survive just off my talent because it is that strong. Let's play the clip.
2: This is like Steve Harvey telling people he used to be homeless. That's my story. That's not his story. Steve Harvey was never homeless. When he, Mark Curry was touring with him 25 years ago, he was making $3,000 a show in cash and doing five shows a week. This, they just tell the stories. This my Thanks to my wife, I'm where I am. You said that about the first wife. You forget that? <laughs> you told us it was her. Then you went and married somebody else that think like a man. Like, what are you talking about? They just, they think they can rewrite history. The, uh, uh, Guy Tory did a beautiful special about the comedy store and Fat Tuesday, where he said that Steve and Cedric and Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish came through there and made All lies. Steven Cedric never performed at the comedy store at all. Tiffany was only seen at the Laugh Factory. In 15 years in Hollywood, no one in Hollywood has a memory of going to a sold-out Kevin Hart show. There being a line for him ever getting a standing ovation at any comedy club. He already had his deals when he got here. Have we heard of a comedian that came to L.A. and in his first year in L.A. he had his own sitcom on network television and had at his own movie called Soul Plane that he was leading? No, we've never heard of that before that person or since that person. What do you think a plant is? Maybe people don't understand the definitions of these words. He just did his documentary with Chris Rock where he shows you that his whole upbringing in comedy was on the East Coast. Yeah, it was. So how simultaneously was he here in Los Angeles doing the same thing? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And I I hate to seem like a petty individual for picking apart lies. But Jussie Smollett going to keep lying until you say we don't believe you. Like, it's important in the checks and balances of the universe that liars not get to make complete narratives for themselves. Are you not afraid
3: about being blackballed again? These are some power people. What do you mean pe-
2: again? These people are not powerful. Satan can't create anything. That includes blessings for his people. That's why, you know what the number one job of somebody that sold their soul at Hollywood is? What? Is to act like it didn't happen. They all do the same job. Why do you think Gary Owen can't cross over and he already white and been in comedy for 25 years? If what I say ain't the case. It's a cabal, it's a a consortium they, they rock with who they rock with and they don't with who they don't. But I'm not scared of being the competition any more than you were when you lined up a, a, across from a superior team. Yeah, on paper, they're a better team. Right. They have all the assets and resources and we don't. But let us get on the line, boy, boy, and see if that factors in. I, I guarantee you
1: it won't. Wow. So... If you're not connecting the dots and why I love what Cat Williams did here and why we're doing this show, and again, I don't know Cat Williams at all. Obviously, I, I'm not. I'm a Dave Chappelle comedian guy. I'm I'm Chris Rock. I'm not familiar with Cat Williams' library. I, I, I'm not. I, I funny, but not my guy, and so I, I don't know him in totality but i'm listening to this i'm going this dude he thinks like me and, and that that's all i can say is just like he he's like i got enough talent that i can carry myself and i don't have to take these deals that everyone else takes and then i can expose the truth about all these other people that they're running around and pretending like Oh, they're on Cat Williams' level, and so I'm, I'm saying all this to set up a point that I want to make sure, make sure you, you you put the context in. But I want to put this clip out, and and I want to connect this to the sports world and the sports media industry, and 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 because I'm t- I'm listening to this going, oh my God, I w- does Cat Williams know who he's talking to in Shannon Sharpe and what he represents? Because when he talks about that cabal. That Steve Harvey and Ricky Smiley and all these guys, you know who's in that ball, in that cabal in the sports media world? Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith is a part of that cabal. Steve Harvey and Friends and used to go on Steve Harvey's show, and they all take care of each other. And, and, and it looks like some people say, like, hey, that's black dudes looking out for each other, blah, blah, blah. Cat Williams, is like, nah. They all took the deal. And so when he's, Cat Williams at the beginning of the story is talking about Steve Harvey and Steve Harvey stealing Cat Williams' narrative of being homeless and applying it to himself. And he and Cat Williams is calling BS saying like, man, you making 15,000 a week and you want me to believe that you homeless? And he, he's saying everybody in the com- com- comedy world knows that that's BS. Like, he knows guys that was traveling with Steve and how much money Steve was making. And, and I say all that and connected all to Stephen A. Smith because you all have seen me and Stephen A. Smith beefing back and forth and he's calling me fat bastard and he's going to expose this truth about me and he's going to ask ESPN to do X, Y, and Z. And, 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 and they are because he's part of the cabal. He He's part of this whole alphabet mafia. And that, that's not calling him gay. That's not what I'm doing. But he's part. The alphabet mafia is the LGBTQ, BLM, Barack Obama, feminist. It's that whole cabal that I was telling you about yesterday. And Stephen A. Smith is a part of that. And he's and and this is why I told when I said to Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp, like, y'all can come at me if you want to but I will drop these facts on y'all because I know it all because my journalistic instincts and just willingness to research. And so Stephen A. Smith wrote or had someone write because Stephen A. Smith can't write, had someone write a memoir straight shooter and he shouldn't have done that because I've read it. And, and just like, Cat Williams is breaking down to you like, look, look at these lies that Steve Harvey is telling and, and look at this deal, how Kevin Hart is a plant. And he was promised things at the very beginning. And it's like, how did Kevin Hart come out here to LA with deals in place and all this success in place? All, but it's like, Who's Kevin Hart? What he's saying is like, Kevin Hart ain't even got that kind of talent. H- how? It hasn't been done since or before. If you go look at Stephen A. Smith's narrative, many people, including myself, that, that know Stephen A. Smith's narrative is like, this makes no sense. This dude could barely write. Had editors at the Philadelphia Inquirer that had to rewrite everything editors at uh ESPN that had to rewrite everything knows virtually nothing about any other sport other than the tiny tiny bit he knows about basketball This man has sat on TV and said, hey, man, they should have kicked the field goal on third down just in case they miss it. They can re-kick it again on fourth down. Oh, this tight end's playing tonight for the Chargers, but he actually was cut and plays for another team. This man, it's comical how little he actually knows about sports, but someone installed him as the number one voice of sports. That's what Cat Williams is talking about. Kevin Hart is an okay comedian. Someone installed him as the face of comedy and gave him a deal and put things in place for him to have all the success because they could control Kevin Hart. That's what happened to Stephen A. Smith. And if you go read Straight Shooter, you can see it everywhere. If you read his memoir, it's Stephen A. Smith, And again, it's like, all (laughs) Stephen A. Smith, if you go read his memoir and listen to the stories he tells about getting a basketball scholarship uh, to (laughs) Winston-Salem State, it's so mind-blowingly preposterous and stupid and fabricated. I'm like, holy cow, how did they let him tell these lies? Or whoever wrote it, who wrote these lies? He went down and had a scrimmage and hit 17 straight shots, and Big House Gaines gave him a scholarship on the spot. This is Division II basketball, Winston-Salem State, the school is poor, Big House Gaines has written books about how little money he had for scholarships, but someone who didn't pee a drop in high school basketball, didn't pee a drop at the fashion institute school that he allegedly played junior college basketball at, didn't pee a drop there, somehow sits out a year and goes and plays in one scrimmage game, and he gives a date of the scrimmage game, it's like it's in the middle of their season. They bring Stephen A. Smith up for a scrimmage at the end of their season around NCAA or conference tournament time. They bring him up and he had, he, he participates in the scrimmage and makes 17 straight shots and they give him a full-ride basketball scholarship at a school that struggles to give out full-ride scholarships to more than three or four players on the team. Stephen A. Smith got one for making 17 straight shots in a scrimmage at the end of someone's regular season when he drove up from New York. You didn't play in high school or you didn't You didn't play in high school. You didn't do anything at the Fashion Institute that had a junior college team. Fashion Institute is is some gay college in uh, New York that had a junior college basketball team that Stephen A. Smith says he played on, although he never played. And then he got a scholarship to Winston-Salem State. He wants you to Stephen A. Smith's on camera talking to uh, Molly Karim and Jalen Rose and J.J. Reddick, and they put up a stat, <clears throat> and we'll, we can play the video. Not today because I didn't tell them. Just because I, I this is organic. I didn't know I was going here, but I, I can next week or tomorrow. I'll play a video, or hell, maybe we'll add it in here on this show. I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But they play a video of. J- Jalen Rose and JJ Reddick's senior stats, and it's Malika Andrews, I think, not Molly Caram. And then uh, Stephen A.'s senior stats. And they got Stephen A. Smith averaging one and a half points a game his senior year. And Jalen Rose maybe averaging 16, and JJ Reddick averaging 22. And everybody, it's a, the scene or the the interview or the segment. Everybody's kind of giggling at Stephen A in comparison to J.J. Raddick and Jalen Rose, and Stephen A says on camera, well, what they don't tell you is, uh, you know, I only average one point a game because, uh, or, or I only average that little a game because I only played in one game that year because I blew up my knee. And, and so someone must have figured out later, like Stephen A., We got you up here saying you averaged 1.5 points a game your senior year. You just said on camera you only played in one game your senior year because you blew out your knee. You can't average 1.5 points if you only played one game. Can't be done. Now, I'm not a math genius, but it cannot be done. So what he did, there's another video of Stephen A. Now, Stephen A, you got time to scrub it from the Internet if you'd like. it's uh, th- like three or four months later, Stephen A figured out like, oh, God, I screwed up. And so he went on the Stephen A. Smith podcast and said he played the clip of them doing that. And then he said, it's all a lie. It was all a lie. I didn't play a damn game because uh, I blew out my knee. And so he says something, I believe the original thing may be in January, then he comes back three or four months later on his own podcast, plays the clip of him lying, and then says, well, that's all a lie because I didn't play because I hurt my knee. So I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Stephen A. Smith. I'm trying to help you understand these truths that Cat Williams are talking about they apply across the entertainment industry. When you see somebody in this current environment, installed as the voice, as the person, you better go check their history because it's more than likely they haven't earned that they've been installed. They've cut a deal and they've written up some little false narrative for them. It's not earned. There was never at any point was Stephen A. Smith a great sports columnist. Stephen A. Smith made his name befriending Allen Iverson and breaking some new Allen Iverson related news and a handful of NBA story related news. But they put him out there as this great opinionist. He doesn't have great. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's there to be on target as it relates to these larger messages that they want to pass on. They want men watching ESPN and thinking, should I take the vaccine? And they want Stephen A. Smith to say, yes, take the vaccine. Anybody that doesn't take the vaccine is an idiot. Kyrie Irving's an idiot. That's the job. There's certain messages that these top entertainment people, these black puppets and white ones, because all of Hollywood's in on it. That's why, you know, Jimmy Kimmel hates Aaron Rodgers. Because the people that won't play the game, they get upset with. Oh, man, Whitlock, you know, is fat, overweight. OB. He better support that vaccine. I'm not gonna do it. Not, well, not gonna do it. Not my role. Not my job. Not qualified. It's not what I believe. There's no check you can cut me. I'm not gonna go on TV and pre- I, I I spent way too much time at the Masterpiece Lounge. I, when I lived at 30th and Webster Boulevard in Indianapolis in a one-bedroom, 400-square-foot four, apartment with my father, I spent way too much time. With my father owned the Triangle Club at Jimmy's J-Bar J. When he worked at, oh, why can't I think of the name of it? Oh, his friend had, anyway, my father's businesses were always in the hood, and they were always my favorite place to go sit down talk with my father and his friends. All there was in the hood. I never spent a moment going, oh God, please don't come shoot and kill me. Now I would be looking over my shoulder. I, I hope one of these June bugs hyped up on crack. I hope they don't come try to take what I got. When I was running in and out, and again, people in Indianapolis will understand this. Others won't. But in Indianapolis, they got these things, because I told y'all, my family's a gambling family. I was taught how to gamble early. We had these little pea shake houses. It's like little lottery houses all around the inner city of Indianapolis. I used to love them. Started going to them when I was like 15, 16 years old. Maybe for a brief second, I was like, man, I hope they don't have a raid while I'm in here pulling these pea shake tickets but I damn sure wasn't worried about getting shot by the police. And so I'm not going to pretend like that's the number one concern in the black community. The gangster disciples, the vice lords, the Crips, the bloods, those are the concerns. Junebug hyped up and, and, and letting some off. That's what the concern is. But Stephen A. and these other guys, they got to play the game. That's their job. That's why they were installed, to support the lies. It, <sighs> <woo. laughs> I, I wasn't planning on going there. So Stephen A. just called a stray today. He, he called a stray. And so call me fat bastard and go uh, cry on the Alphabet Mafia's shoulder, and y'all better do something about Whitlock. Y'all better get him. I'm going to ask ESPN for permission to uh, attack Whitlock. Good luck with it. Tell any lie you want about me, I'm good. Uh, I want to play... Well... We'll, we'll circle back to Sot number two. This We haven't heard it before, but it, it's along the same lines where Cat Williams says something very raw about Harvey, Harvey Weinstein brings in Steve Harvey and Bernie Mac. Let, let's place Sot number two.
2: They canceled me for talking about Harvey Weinstein before the thing came out, but he offered to suck my penis in front of all my people at my agency. What am I supposed to do? He did all of that. I'm thinking I'm the only black person on the script. I get there, there's three other black guys on there. Woo. Huh. So you wonder what they (laughs) did to get there. I told him no. What y'all do? (laughs) 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 And this is why when I walk in a room, heads go down. Behind my back, I'm nothing. I'm just a regular old comedian that's bitter and jealous. But in my face, no, no, no. The king has walked in and they have to respect it only because I've not taken the shortcuts. I've not been funded. They pay you to not talk about things they don't want you to talk about. They tell you that themselves. I can't do that because I. Uh, Steve told you that he stopped doing stand-up because he has seven TV shows. The only problem is when he stopped stand-up, he didn't have those seven TV shows. He stopped stand-up because he got in a comedy battle called the Championship of Stand-Up Comedy with one Cat Williams in Detroit in front of 10,000 people and lost because Cat Williams said he was actually bald and that was a wig. and I. Went in and that's why he couldn't do stand-up anymore. Imagine him coming to tell you another story where he got so big and it was Bernie and them's fault because they wanted to be movie stars. What? You called Ocean Eleven to get that part. What do you mean you didn't want to be a movie star? So on the behalf of Bernie, I-, I would have to say what I have to say. Have
1: you? So I want to add to his point about Steve Harvey. Don't know Steve Harvey, you know, met him briefly. He knows who I am because, one, he's part of the Stephen A. Click or Stephen A.'s probably up under him in that Freemason chain of command. I, I don't know. But, the, you know, and I've once shot dice with Steve Harvey and, and accidentally, not on purpose, but in Las Vegas and you know, he he knows who I am because he knows enough about the sports world, but I, I don't know him. And actually, I halfway like Steve Harvey. I, I really do. I, I don't agree with a lot, but I, he seems pretty harmless. He likes the same kind of music as me. He, he, he tries to stay on a positive note, but it's mostly just dressed up BS. But, but, what what Cat, the only dot Cat didn't put in there in terms of why Steve Harvey pivoted away from stand-up is because Steve Harvey's smart enough and the offer they put in front of him was like, hey, man, stand-up comedy is going to be too hard ri- high risk at this point. We can put more money in your pocket if you walk away from stand-up then take the risk of doing stand-up because stand-up comedy actually, in order to be good at it, calls for a level of honesty that we are eliminating. And so it, you can go do stand-up comedy and you can take these lashes, we're gonna give to Dave Chappelle. Now, you, you wanna take these lashes, we're gonna give to Dave Chappelle. That's the price of doing honest comedy. And Steve Harvey was like, no, nah, I'm good. I can make money doing movies and talking to white women on a talk show and hosting the Family Feud and all this other stuff, writing books or people writing books for me. Yeah, you know, that, that standard. Because he's like anybody else. Comedians have an honesty within them instinctively, and they like to call BS, and And they let him know that's being eliminated from comedy. We're going to go through a 10-year period where well, we're going to pretend like Amy Schumer is funny and that she's the female George Carlin or the female Eddie Murphy. And, and it's like he can figure, oh, wow. They moving off the kind of comedy that I do. Let me just take this money in this check and do something that's safe. That's what's going on uh, with Steve Harvey. The, the The stuff he said about Harvey Weinstein speaks for itself in terms of What's going on in Hollywood and that being tolerated and, and the people that uh, from from Dave Chappelle, when he like, man, uh, the stuff they asked me to do, put this dress on. I don't want to do it. With uh, well, Dave Chappelle is crazy. He ran off to Africa. Cat Williams keeps mistakenly unleashing these truths and he's a drug addict and we jail him and he's crazy. Jason Whitlock sits over here in this lane, unpacking these truths. Oh, he's closeted. He loves porn. He's a hypocrite. He's this, he's that. There's a consequence for telling the truth and for not taking the bag and not taking the deal that they put in front of you. Uh, I want to play Chris Tucker. This is SOT number four where they talk about the movie Friday. Of course, Cat Williams played the role of Money Mike in uh, I think it's next Friday. Uh, But anyway, Chris Tucker, obviously a big star in the Friday movie and uh, allegedly on the Epstein list. Anyway, let's play that clip. And um, the Chris Tucker
2: that we got now is Epstein Island Chris Tucker. Not Smokey.
4: Oh, Lord. (laughs)
2: <laughs> if I didn't know no better, I would tell you, he's the greatest. I don't care what you say. <laughs> 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 to be confident and not delusional is a real skill. Most of these confident people we see is really delusional.
3: Well, you don't think you don't think they asked Chris Tucker to come back in the second in the snick, in the second Friday? Smoky, Smoky was all, in fr- Smoky, there ain't no Friday
2: without Smoky. We all agree to that. And there's no next Friday without Friday. And there's no Friday after next without Friday. Nah, we talking about the rule because you said that they don't have Here's disp- the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. Chris was allowed to make the decision. At the time that this is happening, Cat Williams is known for smoking weed. Willie Nelson is known for smoking weed. Snoop's known for smoking weed. But none of us is really known except Willie. And I'm saying, Chris Tucker didn't want to be the poster child for smoking weed. He don't smoke weed like that. He in the church. He Michael Jackson's best friend. Christmas. Michael Jackson called him Christmas. You ever met a man that gave you a little nickname like that? No. Mm -mm, Me neither.
1: So <clears throat> here's what Cat Williams is saying about Chris Tucker and why I'm playing it. Is Chris Tucker, from everything I've read about him, he's been walking this Christian path. He had these seeds planted in him, just like me and a lot of other black men uh, of our, around our age. And he wanted to be a successful entertainer, and so he was. He could never figure out how do I do this and keep my Christian values, and 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 this is, and, and so I got to play this role, and I, I got to be the face of sitting on a stool in front of my house, getting high every day, and blah. blah, blah. You know that ain't really what I want to be known for. But and, and so he's uncomfortable the entire time. But if you stay out in Hollywood long enough as a Christian, at some point, they're going to get you out on that island. And and I'm not talking about, I'm referencing Epstein Island, but I'm not really referencing Epstein Island. I'm saying they're going to connect you to Jeffrey Epstein, and they're going to uh, put you in a spot where you know all of your Christian values have been violated, or at least you're going to create the perception that oh man, he's on the flight log with Jeff Epstein. I don't care where y'all were flying to. So they they put you in a spot. They connect you to the dirt, and that's why when you hear me say that I had to. Exit Los Angeles and California, because I know that I had spent enough time in the dirt. You heard me yesterday say, and, and I, I, I I don't say it with shame or because I don't because <laughs> I told y'all that uh, strip club Rick. I said it intentionally because it's factual. I called the dude a dear friend because he was. He was a pimp and, and he used to, uh, there was a woman I dated that liked to smoke weed. And so when we'd go out to Las Vegas, he provided the weed. And, and again, they put someone like me, not, not they, I did this myself, just running around in that environment. I can't blame that on nobody but myself. And I could tell you other stories. I done told you some of them. Yeah. How you end up renting an apartment in Las Vegas with a stripper who loves Coke. And, and, and I, I, I didn't tell this story yesterday, but I'm just going to, this is how it happens. It's not a setup. You, you, you do these things yourself. But at one point, I, can't, I don't know what year this was, but I became friends with uh, some guys that were involved in the ownership of a major sports franchise. Not gonna call their name, but <clears throat> it was a group of guys that own a major sports franchise. And I used to socialize with them in Las Vegas from time to time. And I can remember very early on, we're all out to dinner at a, you know, Ritzy Las Vegas. Uh, club or eating establishment, and there's probably like 15 of us around this table, back room, private, eating, drinking, and and all these people are very, very interesting. This is like early in my process of hanging a tiny bit in the Hollywood celebrity multi-billionaire crowd. And I remember there was this uh, kind of flamboyantly dressed, and, and flamboyantly, I don't mean in a gay way, I mean in a pimp way, black dude at the table. And I was like, who is this, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And they told me he was a pimp, a very well-known and successful pimp in in Las Vegas. And I remember that distinctly because I was like, man, billionaire owners of a major sports franchise, one of their best friends is a pimp in Las Vegas. And I can remember my idiot self going, so when you become super successful, you can have pimps as friends. That, that's what the super successful do. And so th- what I'm t- you sit in this petri dish of immorality that, that they bake up for you in sexual promiscuity in L.A. and Las Vegas. And the next thing you know, Chris Tucker and or Jason Whitlock they're establishing connections with people that, like, can be very, very embarrassing, and and could. I, I want to, I, because there's a chance uh, Rick could see this video, and and uh, you know I haven't talked to Rick in a while, but I'm so, I would still call him a friend. I don't agree with the lifestyle, but I know the dude in a different way and, 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 and <laughs> I, I'm just not gonna I don't agree with his and obviously my decisions and moving away and distancing myself and thus like leaving that friendship where it was at says everything you need to know about where I'm at now. I'm not going to disavow the man because he never did nothing to me and uh, he was nothing but a friend to me. But I'm I'm trying to explain to you how they have a system in place that that takes you out into the ocean and puts you in a position to where you can be easily compromised and and, and puts you in a position where uh, uh, your whole reputation and, and your whole value system can be questioned. That's what happened to Chris Tucker. And and that's where I, the the analogy I gave you all yesterday about like you hop in that heterosexual lust, sexual promiscuity ocean. And there's an undercurrent that just keeps taking you further and further and further and further out to sea. Until the next thing you know, in the boat right next to your boat out in that ocean is Jeffrey Epstein and the pedophiles. And they're throwing a party. And their party from your boat looks like, man, what they got going on over there? I just want to go over there and take a look. Because that from from over here, that looks fun. And hey, look, oh, there's the president of the United States. He's on that boat that boat must be safe and there's a billionaire owner of a major sports franchise and his, uh, one of his good friends that he socialized with, he's a pimp. And so you say, well well, damn it, I can have a pimp friend. (laughs) And one day you look up and you're reading in the paper that your pimp friend shot somebody. <laughs> it just, that's how it happens. And Cat Williams is breaking it down. It's a cesspool. And then, and now they have puppet strings on you, and they can control what comes out of your mouth. And that's why I left, because I want to control what comes out of my mouth. And I figured out what comes out of my mouth needs to be consistent with what's written in that Bible. And I can't sit out here in the middle of all of this depravity. I can't. I'm not built for it. I'm not disciplined enough to sit out in the middle of all that depravity. And, and confidently, authentically say what's in that Bible. I'm too weak, so I had to move. And, and I had to build a work environment that supported my Christian values. So <clears throat> that's my initial take on Cat Williams. There's a couple more clips I want to play But I'll do that, I think, with uh, Shamika. Uh, We will uh, take a short little break here and come back with uh, Shamika Michelle and get her take on all of this. Uh, Send me an email, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. You guys have kind of slacked off on the emails over the winter break. I need to hear from you what you guys think of the show, what you think of the content we're putting out, any suggestions you have for the show. Uh, Don't go anywhere. Uh, Shamika Michelle, next. Caden Robertson, previously on Fearless. There's a sign on the door that says what?
5: Um, Like, do not step on this. He's got like a red carpet outside of his door. And like, don't step on this mat unless your shoes are off and don't come in unless invited or something like that. He has a a, a
6: A doormat in front of his floor that says, did I say you could come in? (laughs)
1: Holy cow (laughs) It's a doormat I just want to be clear Caden's calling it a red carpet
6: It was red I I think it was a little different in the spring than the current setup is Uh, Currently he has a doormat in front of his office That says did I say you could come in
7: Another day is here and you're ready for it What to wear?
2: Check Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check
1: All right, well, I'm back, uh, Shamika. Uh, I know you've watched uh, the entire interview as well. What what was your big takeaway from uh, Cat Williams' sit down with Shannon Sharp?
7: If I had to choose just one, I think it was that race is not the the line that we draw. It's, you know, God versus everybody else. And I think that is what we've kind of been saying. It's not about race. It's about good versus evil. And so I think that would be the biggest takeaway if I had to just choose one. But listen, he touched on so many things and so many people. It's like he came out of the gate on fire, just came out blasting that he covered so many people and so many things. I was just kind of, uh, I admired his guts, you know, to just talk about specific people and name names because, you know, a lot of times people will come out and say things and leave us guessing and we're trying to figure out who they're talking about. There was no guessing with this. He named names and said what he had to say, dropped it like it was hot, and went on.
1: (laughs) So what do you think of me analogizing this interview to Charleston White's interview with Cam Newton? Obviously, I think this is more interesting, more credible, and probably more powerful, but it did remind me of the Charleston White, Cam Newton interview?
7: You know, I didn't watch the entire uh, Charleston White interview with Cam Newton. I did think that this one was definitely more interesting. And I do think that Charleston is the type of truth teller that doesn't really care. You know, he's like, let the chips fall where they may. But I think with Cat Williams, the fact that a lot of the people that he was talking about we know, or we've, you know, seen them for years, made it a lot more interesting because he's been in the business so long. Like he's just not this overnight sensation or this social media star or influencer. He has been down in the trenches. And so it just really gives more validity to what he's saying that he actually knows what he's talking about because he's been in the business for so long.
1: So did you believe everything that was said during the interview? You know, at one point, Cat Williams was saying, did he say he was reading 3,000 books a year yes, uh, as a that's child? And, <laughs> and it's like, and again, I don't know Cat Williams' history. And that's, a, again, they walked all the way through it. He, he allegedly left home at age 13 and moved to Florida. Did you know any of that stuff and just... I mean, he he presented himself, or they unpacked the story like this dude was a real prodigy as a really small child, and and it's like is I don't did you buy everything that was said?
7: No. <laughs> I didn't believe that part but it could be just I don't know any people that smart (laughs) I don't know anyone that was reading 3,000 books a year at seven eight years old you know I think is what he said so that was pretty hard to believe but I didn't know any of that because I think during uh, cat's rise I was married I was in the church I was trying to you know my husband and I were building a business, we had kids. So it's just a lot of stuff that I missed out on. I wasn't in the know for years. I did, I was familiar with his comedy. He's always been known as kind of a straight shooter and a truth teller, so I did know that much. I've seen some of his stand up, but some of the more intimate details that he went into during this interview, I did not know. Like I did not know that he left home at 13 and just the way he equated, you know, his walk kind of with, with Jesus and just feeling like, you know, he was going to be fine. I found that very interesting and inspiring, but I had no idea prior to this interview. And so, and I'm not saying this uh, to
1: gloss myself. I'm just Telling you what I was actually thinking. I was like, because you know, I don't, the reading all those books, look, maybe he was that much of a prodigy, but, but what he was basically arguing to some degree is like, I was saying things as a child and debating my father and the whole, just the world at, at like, at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I was talking like an adult. And that was something that I related to because I'm telling you, at 10, 11, 12 years old, I'm tell- we would have, my parents were divorced, but we'd have Thanksgivings and Christmas together and the whole family would always come to my mother's to, to where we live, my father, my uncles. And, and I can remember as a small child, because quest- again, I was taught to gamble at a young age. Uh, because that's what we did. My grandfather ran the numbers. Uh, my my uncle took over and had a pea shake house when he was, you know, it just, we gambled. And I fell into that. That's why I like gambling. But I always questioned it. And I'm talking about at 12 years old, I can remember standing up in front of my family and saying, why do we gamble and, and pull tickets and white people play the stock market. Shouldn't we play the stock market? (laughs) I would have this argument with them. And and, I mean, that was always me. And that's what, when I was listening to Cat, I was like, dang, that, 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 now trust me at 13, I wasn't leaving nobody's house. Uh, Are you kidding me? My mama's pizza casserole and (laughs) you couldn't pull me up away from that with a gun. Uh, But I, that was the thing that I related to is like the, the, the things that I say now, I was showing signs of that at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. That's what I related to about uh, Catwood and just the fact that he's a truth teller or a snitch on his industry. And that's the way I'm seen in the sports media industry. Man, well, why would I be you know telling all our business? F him. Those are the two things I related to about Cat Williams.
7: You know, when he talks, you can just hear the common sense, the way that he sees things, his perspective. So I definitely believe that he had this at a very young age because I do think that it's a gift and I can see why you can relate to that as can I, you know, when you're just a different person, you're a different person. And so when I hear him talk, I definitely believe he was seeing things in at you know in a different perspective or from a different perspective. Even as an early age, just because he says things that maybe some people are thinking, but they won't actually say. And the way he's so outspoken, I can remember someone signing the back of a picture for um to me in high school, telling me, you know, I'm I'm the little girl with the the big ass mouth, but keep talking because this mouth will take me far. And she comes, you know, under my post sometimes and says, I told you Like I knew it I saw it Because I've always been This type of person To just say whatever And I would sometimes Catch heat Because I saw things differently And when I would say it Everybody couldn't understand Why I was saying it But then in hindsight They would say Okay I get it I see where she was coming from So when I hear Kat talk As when I hear you talk It's a different perspective Sometimes just from a different light But it's all just just common sense, you know, to me, although I know common sense is not common. Um, So I can definitely believe that part. And I think that's where I relate just the honesty, just the, I'm gonna say what I have to say and let the chips fall where they may. People may get mad, which, you know, Shannon asked him, are you worried about being blackballed again? And he's like, no, you know, His blessings, he knows where they come from. And that's the same way I feel. You know, if God be for me, who can be against me? Whatever I say, I'm going to say. I'm not afraid that, you know, Satan and his people are going to have something against me and I need to be worried about it. No, I really feel like, you know, if God has put me in this position, he's not going to put more on me than I can bear. And I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to do. What's for me is for me. So the way that he came at it, I just think was so admirable. And some of the common sense stuff he said, like about Jonathan Majors, when he said they spent years trying to convince us this man was good looking. I was like, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) That was
1: the funniest moment. That was the funniest moment of the whole deal, and it's towards the end, and it—it's it, something I had never thought of, but as soon as he said it, it, like it rang true. Like we run, they done came out and said this dude's the next Idris Elba. It's like, right?
7: How? <laughs> How? Holding those lips like that? I told you long time ago, the way he held his lips, I just could not buy into the whole, you know, he's so hot thing and he's so masculine and, you know, I couldn't buy into it. So when he said it, I could only laugh because I'm like, yes, thank you for saying what, you know, a lot of us have been thinking.
1: <laughs> well, and and he literally... For those of you that haven't seen it, his point was like, they decided, hey, Jonathan Majors is going to be a star, so we're going to tell you all these things about Jonathan Majors, including that he's the best looking man in Hollywood, and and you're going to believe it, even though you know it's not true. He didn't go there. He, He didn't go where I'm about to go next. But that's how I feel about the sales job around Michelle Obama is mm-hmm. that she's actually the female version of Jonathan Majors. And everybody's running around like Michelle Obama is Diana Ross in Lady Sings of the Blues or Mahogany. And I'm like, how? Not, right. I have seen all these fine women and, and y'all telling me this is it? How? I mean, she, she got bigger biceps than me. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to drag her, but I'm just trying to like, that's how they act. And I'm like, you tell all these fine women that, 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 that I've seen for years. And then, I mean, the, the icing on the cake, and I know white people are going to relate to this, but but all these magazines act like Michelle is finer than Melania Trump. <laughs> Stop yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
4: And, and that's, Melania That's why I, can a plant.
1: Press. This is, yeah. <laughs> So I, I just, I want to play you, because uh, I haven't played this clip, I want to play the clip of uh, where he talked about Kanye West, and then we'll both react to that. Play SOT number seven.
3: Obviously, I don't know how well you know Kanye. I don't know if you've been around Kanye, but from a distance. What, 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 do, you, what do you suspect's going on?
2: I suspect that we're pretty awful people if we say that somebody got a mental illness and then we watch what they do. If you say somebody got special needs, then why would you be watching them and holding them accountable like everybody else? Wouldn't you grade them on a curve? Wouldn't you go, whew, this guy? Because I mean, what are we reacting to? What are we reacting to? You're the one that put him in a position where he thought he was god and could call himself jesus and you're the one told a guy that writes musical lyrics that he was a genius mm-hmm. you're the one that's like so what, what do you expect the guy married a whore like what oh, like, you- <laughs> I didn't mean it like that i mean married her because she was one not he didn't know he understood that he wanted that he courted that. That's what he wanted to base his but family she got, she got on. maybe a good heart,
3: though. I know what you're going to say. Don't you say it, Kat. Don't you say it. I'm going to move the conversation. If what
2: I'm saying is not correct, then how does she end up with Pete Davidson? I mean, it happens all the time. And what if you weren't even good enough for Pete and he leaves you? What do that mean the product was? No, I don't I don't support or villainize Kanye because I don't understand what it is we want from him. I I don't know why we look at a basketball player and say he didn't score no hockey goals this whole season. <laughs> he don't play <laughs> hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye don't say nothing I can agree with. Yep. Okay. I he was the weird guy in the beginning with the pink sweaters right. when we met him. Like, yeah. what do you think? Moving to a beat of your own drop. This, this dude started a church and kept cussing. Nobody in black church said nothing. You would have thought all the pastors would have came. You can't be no gospel artist. You just said that bitch. <laughs> Nobody said nothing. Because T.D. Jakes over there with Pete in it. Like, oh, you know, man, come on, cat. Only the guy you had here has been upfront and honest and a man of God and humble and took the L's he had to take and didn't. I,
1: I, I, I want to deal with his comments about Kim Kardashian for, because I th- this is where Shannon had him on and had no idea what he was going to say. This, this, he knew he was going to be honest but what I read in it, because I don't, I think Shannon would like to date Kim Kardashian. Chad Johnson has Ocho Cinco's put that on the table that he knows her and he could look it up. So I, I, Shannon had to run away from that Kim Kardashian part of the deal because I think he'd like to be in play in that, that situation. But I, I, I was was that a cheap shot at Kim Kardashian? Was it a necessary shot? We talking about? Kanye, your thoughts.
7: I don't think it was a cheap shot. I don't think she was like a reformed whore when he got with her. Like she was still kind of at the peak of whoredom. You know, (laughs) I think she was still at the tip top. We kind of knew when he got with her that it was going to end badly. So I don't think it was a cheap shot. It wasn't like it had been. 10, 20 years since her and Ray J's video came out when Kanye started to pursue her. And I do remember being in the church when Kanye came out with Jesus Walks With Me. And I remember watching people push it as if it was this great gospel song and being angry And, you know, I say all the time that I was really black or white when I was in the church. There was no gray area. But I remember speaking against it and people thinking, oh, I was just this super Christian or being highly judgmental because there were a lot of, you know, people in the church or black churches that were accepting of it. And so Kanye hasn't really you know, changed his behavior as long as he, you know, pushes that I have this church and I can do what I want. He just released pictures of his wife, uh, half dressed or half naked because she really didn't have on many clothes. This is who Kanye is. And so I agree with Kat when he says, why do we look for him to do anything different? You all have told us that this man has some type of mental issues. So we should expect him to kind of be erratic and be all over the place. I thought that was a good way to look at it because I do feel like people get so upset. Like, why is he saying this? Uh, you know, and Kanye says he's not bipolar. That's the whole, you know, thing against him, but his behavior is definitely all over the place. And I wouldn't look at Kanye and be like, Oh, he's, you know, the Christian leader that we should be listening to. And, you know, following him for salvation advice. Um, So I didn't think it was a cheap shot at all. I thought it was just the truth.
1: What I wish they would do, which they've given me the opportunity to do here, is, you know, just clarify and put some more substance around what Kat is actually pointing out. And, 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 And anybody that's listened to this show and you've listened to me talk about the mistakes that I've made in my personal life. If you put the whole thing together, and, and this is an issue with a lot of young men, and, and it's even more, it's a little more acute among black men because we've been so swept up in hip hop culture. And, and, and what Kat is saying from a very common sense perspective, he's not gonna say it as clearly as what I'm just about to say, is like uh, Kanye intentionally married a whore and there are many men, it's most acute with black men, who actually go out and look for whores to marry and think that once we get them on our program, we're going to get them right. And and if you've listened to me talk on this show, when I, I sit here and talk about God put some incredible women in front of me, but I was so retarded and stupid and so caught up in... I was looking for a whore. That's what I thought I... would, and, and so I would take for granted these incredibly special human beings that God put in front of me. And again, I, I just like you've heard me tell the joke or tell the real story, like, man, her booty ain't as big. But but there's more to it. It wasn't just the big booty. It's like, is she gonna do what so-and-so does. And, and, and what what when you really wake up and the scales come off your eyes, you look at the whore and say, she ain't gonna do what that godly woman will do, and Lord, you are an idiot for choosing that over that. And so, there's a chance, that's why, I, you know, the only, cr- Shannon's doing an entertaining show or whatever, but Shannon's my age we should be imparting wisdom not making the exact same mistakes we were making at 28 at 55 right should, and we should be and 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 i I won't call out names but again there's a kid that i've i got cuz he's i'm on i don't think i'm saying that but Dante, the, the kid that I adopted, the ball state, we had so many conversations where I'm like, Dante, God done put someone in front of you that you're not valuing properly. You think that a whore is better than what God has put in front of you. And, and you're just dead wrong and take it from me. I've made this mistake. And this dude thanks me all the time. Oh, my God. Thank you for staying on. Because, I mean, I had to cry. This was like a battle for several years. Like, dude, don't be stupid. Are you kidding me? This woman's got your back. He got it. He's happy about it now. That's the kind of wisdom we should be trying to impart uh, to these young people. But we're not. We're just cracking jokes and reveling in uh, our stupidity. Uh, Any final thoughts before I let you go? I want to bring on Steve Kim.
7: Uh, Just uh, tagging on to what you are saying, no good man, regardless of age, wants to share his woman. Um, No good man wants to see his woman out here naked, you know, on the gram, uh, grinding up on people on podcasts, as we just recently saw with uh, Brittany Renner and Charleston White. No good man wants their woman to be like that. He wants to feel like his woman is off limits, his woman belongs to him and no one else can get to her. You know, no good man wants a woman that's for the streets. So, women need to to pay attention to that. I don't care how much these women get attention who post these pictures or who are on these podcasts talking about, you know, well these men fly me out and they buy me bags. He'll never take you seriously If he doesn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt That you belong to him and him alone And that's just what it is And it really has nothing to do with age Because there are men that have found that wisdom At a young age That are not going to share, period
1: Thank you, Shemeka Great job as always uh, Let's see what the Korean cosell What he has to add Uh, next.
8: Owen Carey, previously on Fearless.
6: And so, 215 rolls around, get in the elevator, go up to the fourth floor, which is where all the coaches have their offices and Coach Hart meets me. He says, hey, we're going to Prime's office. So we walk in to Dion's little space, and Cordell Stewart, he's a former quarterback for the Steelers and for Colorado, is sitting on the right, Dion's in the middle, and Coach Hart sits down on the left, and I sit right here across from them. And Coach Hart looks me in the eye and he says, hey, Owen, you're a heck of a player. You're a really smart kid, one of the smartest I've ever coached, but we have to let you go.
0: Learn more at marines.com
8: Alright, welcome back.
1: <clears throat> Time for some Korean Koselle. Uh, Cosell, I got two questions for you to start off with. Or one light question. Did you get a Christmas present from me? And if so, how come, you know, I, I didn't get a, hey, got your Christmas present?
8: I did. I, I think I sent you a DM. Um, you know, it was nice. I, I think it was like an ice chest. It wasn't one of those, those <laughs> fancy ones that could get run over by a tank and your Coors Light is still cold with all the ice. Uh, but, yeah, but thanks. M- one of these days yeah, I might I'm, actually. I'm
1: thinking of your drinking. I'm thinking of your beer drinking, and I got you, you know, I think a Yeti cooler to, or I thing. I can't remember. Yeah, Tiffany you know actually got do- it.
8: Since it's a Yeti and I've seen those commercials, the next time I, I I prop it up with cold Zima and some Bartles and James and just pack it with dice, I'm just gonna throw it off a rooftop and I'm gonna see if those commercials are true or not. Well, let's see how tough these Yetis <laughs> really are, okay?
1: Anyway, I'm sorry for I'm I'm actually looking for thank yous when I didn't. And I, I do remember getting you note for from it. But uh
8: thank you. Yeah.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh Listen, I want to talk with you about the Shannon Sharp angle of this and how successful Club Shay Shay is. But I didn't want to limit you if you wanted to talk about any of the things Cat Williams had to say. And so we can start there in terms of: Did you find what Cat had to say fascinating, interesting? Just your general thoughts before we dig into Shannon Sharp.
8: I watched about three quarters of the interviews uh, starting last night and throughout this morning preparing for this fine segment. And the question that I have is, is that the last interview Cat Williams is ever going to do or the last one that Shannon Sharp will ever be allowed to do? Because they went there. They, they uncovered the veil. And I found it interesting that the parallel of the, uh, the ESPN steam list, I don't want to get into trouble here, being revealed And some of the stuff that Mr. Williams stated, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, what a cabal these people are in. It's more than just a cult. And I wonder if the perpetrators are actually the victims or the victims, really the perpetrators and the things that people do to get into the positions that they get in is just, is it even worth it to celebrate or to support the entertainment industry at all? I mean, we've all heard about the casting couch. We all know about it. And that old phrase, Jason, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Now the question that I have no, no, after...
1: No. Hold for one second, Steve. I'm going to do what I thought you were going to do. It's actually your job. I stay between the white lines. But I'm going to change that up for you. And, and this this is what you should have done. It's not what you know. It's who you blow.
4: Mm. That's
1: what it is <laughs> or what you do <laughs> because i'm just it's just like
8: I, I i will say this if there's ever a kings of anything comedy tour uh, i get the sense cat williams up will to just plan his own tour I, I don't think he'll be invited he's not part of that group he's been thrown out of that whole little fraternity uh but he broke down the fourth wall and and, 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 and in terms of shannon sharp i think he's doing an excellent job in terms of spreading out his wings and making a place where people like Cat Williams are very comfortable letting the guard all the way down, and my congratulations to him.
1: I'm going to go a step further and, and say Shannon Sharp is not a polished comedian, and he never will be. But what he's doing with Club Shay Shay is turning into the closest thing we've seen to Arsenio Hall show mm. since the Arsenio Hall show. Your thoughts on that?
8: You know, uh, that's actually not a bad comparison. I was going to go with the Black Roy Firestone as someone who saw thousands of episodes of Up Close <laughs> during my formative years of uh, 3 o'clock Pacific time. It always replay at 9 on ESPN, and I thought he was the best interviewer there ever was. Jason, I think both comparisons are very apt in certain ways, but this is the advantage because it's the internet and it is a podcast form. There's two things you can do here you can go as long as you want, it could be 30 minutes, it could be three hours. And I believe this one was closer to three hours. And also, because of the uh, gifts of editing, you can go out there and put 15 minutes here, good three minutes here. So you can either have the full buffet or you can go a la carte. And so it really speaks to the effectiveness of this modern technology and the the newer platforms. The one thing I like about Shannon Sharp is that he lets his guests say what they're going to say. Not that he won't interject or disagree, because he'll do that. But I like the fact that once a guest starts rolling, he'll let them be. He's not going to try to put them into a certain box. He's not going to try to force them into a certain way of speaking. He will let Cat Williams be Cat Williams let him deal with the circumstances and the blowback. And I believe the problem with a lot of these shows in the past, like in Oprah or whoever it is, a lot of guests get on that couch and they start to give their answers in a way that they believe will satisfy the host, whether it's Oprah or anyone else, or the audience. I think because that show is filmed really not in front of anybody but the production staff and Shannon, these guys will just say what they want to say, and they'll deal with the blowback later. But I like the fact that once you get on Shannon Sharp's show, be as honest as you want, because Shannon will allow it.
1: Steve, this show, and again, anybody that knows, I'm not the biggest Shannon Sharp fan. I'm a critic. It's actually painful for me to have to be this honest in my praise of Shannon Sharp. But I got to do it for my credibility, and I just like to say what I think. The show that he's putting together (laughs) has so much mammoth potential. It can be done in front of a live audience. I think at some point you're going to start seeing musical guests appear on there. What what Shannon Sharp is executing, now, again, I'll put a little criticism on the back end of this, but what he's executing is... I haven't seen any other professional athlete, including Charles Barkley, transition into this high level of a professional broadcaster as what I'm seeing from Shannon Sharp. This guy's prepared. Again, most of these jocks show up and they just, I'm just here to be a personality. No, this dude, either his staff or himself... He's prepared. He knows all the scenes from the movies they were in. He's read up on their background. They put all this information in front of him. He asks good questions. They like him. He puts them at comfort, at a comfort level, and he'll go wherever they want to go. If they want to go raunchy, he'll go raunchy. If they want to go high intellectual, he'll mm. d- to the best of his ability, he'll go high intellectual with them. It, it, it's, it's, and I'm telling you, what, what I saw as Shannon at FS1... I didn't like there are a lot of elements to what I'm seeing him with club Shay Shay that I just got to go, Hats off. uh, you, you've actually done the work to turn yourself into a professional broadcaster. And, and literally I'm just, he'll never be able to really stand up and do the kind of monologues that a professional comedian can do, but he's creating the next iteration of the Arsenio Hall show and it, Soon it won't just be black guests that come on his show, but everybody will.
8: You know, I'm going to make an assumption here, and you could agree or disagree. I think Shannon being black, with individuals like Cat Williams, helps. I think there's a comfort level there. Number two, the fact that there's liquor on that table greases the skids. You keep sipping. The uh, the dialogue gets a little bit Start more. Start tripping. Risky. Start tripping. Yeah, <laughs> grease the skids, if you will. Now, this is interesting. You talk about the who would be on the other side of Shannon. I would pay money. I would pay a membership to see if Shannon Sharp could bring on a Thomas Sowell, because Thomas Sowell, I think, is one of the great orators, great thinkers, great minds and intellects that's ever been in American history. And I think that this would be a fascinating conversation because Shannon pushes back on a lot of things about, you know, the way we're treated, the, the status of America, white supremacy, racism. Let's see what she, what what would that conversation would look like with Thomas Sowell with any of these athletes, because Thomas Sowell does not play those games.
1: Yeah, not not Thomas Sowell wouldn't fit Club Shay Shay. And, and not. you know, not, not trying to uh diminish Shannon Sharp at all. I'm praising him. The guys doing. He's in the entertainment lane. He knows all that pop culture stuff. He'd be so far outside of his skis trying to keep up with Thomas Sowell that it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't be, you know, he's got to bring on lightweights like Michael Eric Dyson. He don't want to swim out into those deep waters with a Thomas Sowell. It wouldn't play well. For you, you would find it interesting. For the audience, Shannon's going after. Thomas Sowell, now look. 20 years ago when Thomas Sowell wasn't 93 and, and you know, didn't speak as deliberately as he does now, you got a shot. But the guy's 93. He's still sharp. But he's so far beyond engaging with Shannon on that stuff because that and that's not a knock on, on Shannon because I'd say I wouldn't want Arsenio Hall to interview Thomas Sowell. Sh- hmm. Shannon is de- – Shannon has – Built a, a perfect niche for him and his personality, and and someone like me has to admit I didn't see this coming. I didn't. I, I thought that the stuff they had him doing at FS1, that Jamie Horowitz has spelled out for him. I thought like Shannon must want to do that, and and now I'm looking at like now nah, Shannon did that because that's what Jamie Horowitz told him to do, and that's how he could get his. Foot in the door with Skip, and 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 then build out his own thing where he can actually do what he wants to do, and it's got th- that he he is he's more talented, more authentic, and better than Stephen A. Smith, mm. and and like Stephen A. Smith wants to move into this entertainment lane and what he does not realize is Shannon's already beating there. He he will never. And and Stephen and that's not a knock on Stephen A Smith because Stephen A can do a little bit of what Shannon's doing. But he's not as good as Shannon in the lane well, that Shannon has built here. No.
8: You know, Shannon where Stephen A. Smith is really good, though, is being an orator. As someone that actually liked his show years ago on ESPN2, Speak Frankly with Stephen A. Smith, I think it was called. He was good at the monologue. Yeah, uh, he was good at the monologue. He was actually pretty good at it. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was probably one of the more loyal viewers of that show because he would bring in athletes that were not necessarily from the four major sports, namely boxing here and there. But the, the thing that I, I I really do like about... What hey, let, me, let,
1: me, let me throw this in, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. Uh, don't lose your point. But I, the difference between Shannon and Stephen A is gravitas. Because of that Hall of Fame football career, there's a deference. Cat Williams showed it multiple times. He basically was arguing like, Shannon, in the football world, you're like me. In the comedy world, we're both Hall of Famers. There's... Not everybody. People like Stephen A because of uh, the position he's been put in by ESPN and they have to deal with him, but they don't really like him. People are looking at Shannon and are feeling like, man, he earned this. He was a great Hall of Fame football player, and then anybody that's watching this show is like, dang, this dude done put in the work as a broadcaster and he does excellent interviews.
8: Yeah, I mean, look, Stephen A. Smith can be a bit of a blowhard. He bloviates. And a couple of weeks ago, he made this speech about immigration, thinking, OK, I'm going to really step out here. It was one of the most nonsensical, ignorant uh, statements I've ever seen. It got picked apart by everybody. It's like, Stephen, um, you know jockstraps and balls and lines and baskets. You don't really know all this other stuff. Stay within your limits. This is, This is not what you're good at. You're not Black Peter Jennings here, okay? You're not Sam Donaldson. Give me a break. Uh, One thing I like about Shannon is he's an interviewer who lets the guy being interviewed have their viewpoints. He'll push back here and there, but it is absolutely something that gets on my nerves when I hear interviewers start to try to argue with people's, others' opinions. If Cat Williams says something that I don't like, I might interject, but I will always say, Cat, have your opinion, expound upon it. It, this is not meant to be an argument. It's not a debate show. But also, going back to this point, Jason, when you have a setting or a format where it could be a five-minute interview or five-hour interview, like it was with Charleston White and Cam Newton, you can get into a lot of things and you can allow your subject to expound. I believe that's much more effective way to get to somebody than when a publicist, and I, I see this a lot in boxing. I went through it. They say, hey, Steve, You got 10 minutes. Well, then when it comes to 10 minutes, you are stuck basically to a script. You can't really delve off into other subjects because a guy might actually say something really interesting and it may throw off the rest of your script. All your other questions that you had all of a sudden become irrelevant. And with a guy like Cat Williams with what he was saying about his former friends and colleagues, you're better off just sticking there. Like, forget what you had written down in your notes. Stick with that. That's the art of being a great play caller. But play works throughout the game plan. Keep running the plays that work. And that's what I believe Shannon Sharp is really good at in terms of interviewing somebody.
1: What do you think of my contention that what Shannon Sharp was doing at FS1 was fraudulent and just something he felt like he had to do to survive? And now what we're seeing at on first take and on club Shay Shay is more accurate of actually what he wants to do.
8: Well, look, like you said, that was the Jamie Horowitz uh, capsule that he had to fit inside of you're on a debate show. And Jason, I think it is theoretically impossible if you want to have an honest debate slash discussion. I know those, those things are a little bit different to really come up with that many debates that you wholeheartedly have a sincere thought about so at a certain point not only are, are you on automatic pilot jason you start to become insincere i absolutely hate it when editors would come up to you and say, steve i want you to take this position and have an opinion of it number one i used to tell my uh, editors at espn number one i really don't have an opinion on it and they tell me no you have to have an opinion on it and i'm thinking to myself why I, I don't get it. And then and just to create conflict for television, it gets very, very old. And I would rather just be my own boss and just say, I, this is what I want to speak about. This is what interests me. This is what I could speak about at length and make it interesting instead of every day having a producer saying, <laughs> number one, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. All right. Segment two, LeBron. Segment three, more Cowboys. And then after a while, Jason, you don't think that a guy, anybody, and whether it's Shannon Sharp whoever's in that position, you don't think they would get mentally fatigued by doing that over and over again for years? It bored the hell out of me watching it, which is why I didn't.
1: Well, what what I never liked about Shannon, because I just thought it was completely inauthentic, th- this whole – how much he played the race card, how much right. he played this hillbilly, dummy, uh redneck black guy, uh, you know, the the, the do-rag, the, the the blunt and the drinking on air. And it's just like, man, they got you up here shucking and jobbing like you man-tanning eating sleep from bamboozle. And, and, you know, you bread floor. there, oh, that, that's what most of these criminals look like. That, you know, I, I just thought like, come on, man, that, that ain't you. And, and much as you like white girls, cut it out. All this love, the fruit, hate the tree. You know, just cut it out. And, and, and I'm not trying to take a cheap shot at him because cause I'm telling you, in retrospect, looking at him now and what he's done, I'm like, okay, he did what he had to do to survive in that moment. Because losing that job at CBS, his kids are younger, he got baby mama issues. That dude just needed to make some money and survive. And so he took the job that Jamie Horowitz asked him to play that role. And so he went the man, tan, and eat and sleep role. I don't like it, don't respect it, I wouldn't have done it. But now that he's in position to do exactly what he wants to do, I got to tip my hat and say, this is good. I wouldn't do some of it. Some of the stuff he does with Chad Ocho Cinco and they go too far. Uh, but I've been there. I, I've, I've done, again, I've confessed. Like when I did Real Talk, <laughs> I had strippers on. I had, you know, I, I did that. So I, I can't hate on that. But I'm looking at a really talented athlete turned broadcaster that is, literally, I watched that thing yesterday and I go, this dude is going to be the king of sports media. He's got the backing that that, that he needs because, trust me, there are people backing him, and they want him. And th- this will be my last point. I want. To, I, did you hear me go off on my tangent about Stephen A. Smith as it relates to the point that Cat Williams was making about Kevin Hart, that Kevin Hart is a plant and that he's yeah. been installed. He's not the funniest comedian. Th- this was a, a plan they decided to Ke- That's the same thing that happened with Stephen A. Smith, that he's he's got some talent, but he don't know sports. He knows a tiny bit about basketball. They've written a book and created this little fake history of his that he and Big House Games were best friends, and he got a basketball scholarship to Winston-Salem State, and he played a little bit. That's all exaggerated Lies that all these installed people have to come up with, but he's been installed. I, I can remember when they when ESPN started pushing Stephen A. Smith in the '90s, people were looking around like this dude can barely write. People are rewriting this stuff, editors. He, he he doesn't know football and all this other stuff. He went on this, the the one time they let him on the sports reporters, they intentionally hung him out to dry when he made that field goal comment. I used to do the show all the time. When people make mistakes like that. They normally reshoot the scene and, and, you know, correct the mistake. But people didn't like Stephen A. Smith, so they aired it and wanted to embarrass him. But the machine was behind Stephen A. Smith, and and there's a machine behind Shannon Sharp. And what I have to acknowledge is, like, the machine has picked a pretty good robot here in Shannon Sharp. This dude is talented, and he's better than Stephen A. Smith, and I, no shot at Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley's asked well, to do something else, but Barclay's a lot of the things bar- they've asked Charles Barkley to do, he can't do, and Shannon well, Sharp can't. Jason,
8: Barkley, I love Charles. We've had great moments, but as soon as he paired him up and he agreed to do that show with Gail King, which became this liberal uh, propaganda machine, we lost him. Charles, it was a good run. At one point, I really liked you. Now I kind of tolerate you, but anyway, here's the thing. There's a lesson here. Number one, You want to be yourself in sports media, have enough guts to go by yourself. Do your own platform. Because if you work for corporate legacy media, you are basically a puppet in a lot of respects. You may not agree with it, you may not like it, but that's what it is. You are not going to be able to be free flowing. Because let's be honest about it if that was on an FS1 platform specifically with their logo and their resources, you're not bringing on Cat Williams. And certain parts of that Cat Williams interview would never be seen. It would be on that cutting room floor real fast. Trust me. So that and I give and that's my advice to any athlete out there that thinks that they want to truly make a difference, which is different than truly making a lot of money. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'm a capitalist. But if you want to be that guy that's truly a renegade and wants to have at least a modicum of free speech, because I know that's limited to I'm a realist create your own platform, that's what Shannon Sharpe has done. And you could say that he has safety nets, that's fine. But I I find myself enjoying the weekend wrap-ups of football that him and Ocho Cinco do. I watch some of it. Um, And when there's an interview that goes viral, uh, like there was recently with Charleston White and just this one here with Cat Williams, I find myself saying, you know what? You guys are doing something that's actually deeper than just entertainment and sports. Because quite frankly, a lot of those things that were said in those two interviews could not be found in corporate settings.
1: Babe, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. We'll go a little bit more hardcore sports. Uh, that's Steve Kim. Happy New Year, Steve. Uh, I'm going to tack on uh, another segment to this show. Uh, there's been someone in the alphabet community that has written a piece about me uh, named Alex Reamer or Rhymer. Uh, we're going to bring him on next.
8: Caden Robertson, previously on Fearless.
5: I expressed that I wanted that conversation, so I really tried for like three, three and a half weeks to get a, a meeting with him, a sit down meeting with him, um, and we had stuff scheduled. And actually, on April, on April 30th, I sent Coach Hart a text saying, "Hey, when can we meet with him?" Um, so that day, he's like, well, "We'll shoot for Thursday." So you're looking at Thursday, May 4th, and. Haven't really heard anything from him, so I texted him on that Thursday early in the morning, hey, are we gonna be able to make today work? And he sends me a text, no, he's out of town. Um, And that happened, you know, a few times. And so it became, at that point, it became very clear that, you know, for whatever reason, Dion didn't want to have a conversation with me and he was kinda, you know, refusing to meet with me.
1: All right, welcome back. Uh, As promised, I wanted to bring on Alex Reimer, or Reimer, I'll ask for Alex to clarify his last name here in a second. He, he writes for a blog I think called Queerity, uh, free of agenda, except that gay one. He's written a piece, headline, Jason Whitlock is the latest anti-gay activist to allegedly get caught partaking in some very gay behavior online. Alex, uh, welcome to Fearless, and, Uh, Clear up the pronunciation of your last name for me first.
0: I appreciate Jason. Reamer is how you pronounce it.
1: Reamer. So, Alex, I'll just start with the headline. Mm. Why do you label me as an anti-gay activist? I I don't consider myself an anti-gay activist. What what do you have to do to qualify to be called an anti-gay activist?
0: Well, Jason, just a quick perusal through your Twitter feed. You talk a lot about the alphabet mafia and the uh, desecration of society and saying that sexualized behavior leads to a lot of that and talking about gay people and LGBTQ people's role in that. So I think if we look at your public statements and tweets, it's fair to surmise that you are an anti-gay activist or at the least an anti-gay voice.
1: Why wouldn't I be considered, if you look at my Twitter feed, I talk a lot about a biblical Christian worldview. And why wouldn't I be just called a Christian? And or, I mean, if you look at my Twitter, I probably tweet more about uh, my weight loss journey and struggle. And I know that probably doesn't connect with you in the same way because you don't have the same weight loss issues as me. But I probably tweet more about gluttony. And, and I talk about how gluttony is a sin and things like that, you don't have that problem, so it doesn't connect with you. But I guess when I reference alphabet mafia, it does connect with you more. And so I, I just don't see myself, and I don't think it's a fair uh, description of me as an anti-gay activist. You know, a pro-God, pro-Christianity activist, that would be fair. What's
0: have you ever taken a pro gay viewpoint the last couple of years?
1: What is, have define you spoke, a pro I mean, what's gay, your, gay viewpoint? Well because
0: Jason you're adamantly opposed you you, you always demonize gay sex and LGBTQ people and transgender issues as well. We know what side of the, of the coin you are on those. That's why I said whoa, you are anti-gay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, hold for one LGBTQ. second. Hold
1: for one second. Hold for one show me show me where I've demonized Uh, gay sex. Now, I do think it's a sin, but again, I write a lot of columns. I I can't believe I've ever written a column that that talks about being, being where I get into details about pro or gay sex or anything. I mean, my columns pretty much have defined me throughout my 30-year career. There's just not a lot of content where I'm going into detail about how gay people have sex.
0: Well, this whole crusade that you've been on the last few days uh, would seem to indicate that you are very uncomfortable with any mention of uh, sex on your browser feed, despite the fact that this ad that you tweeted about was, you know, probably a targeted ad based on your search history. So that's what I'm here to talk about, this tweet you made a couple of days ago, Jason, that everyone else is talking about and just kind of the foolishness of it and how I think you kind of owned yourself, my man. I think you kind of owned yourself by showing this targeted ad that people who know the business know that it's usually a result of your search history or browsing history. So that's what I'm here to talk about. That's the primary topic of the piece that I wrote about you.
1: Well, again, I just started out with your headline and your piece. And so it is my show. I, I understand you want to, what you want to talk about, but I invite you on the show to talk about the piece you wrote. Yeah, I get everybody on I Twitter has been talking about my tweet, but again, I'm just asking you questions about, your piece and why you would describe me in that way to start off, and then the uh, I just want to do you consider yourself a journalist, a blogger, an activist? Wh- what is what is it that you're doing at queerity
0: Well, I think at Querity we give a voice to LGBTQ folks and gay people who have lacked a voice in mainstream media for. Uh Since really the beginning of time. So that's what we do. We tell the gay viewpoint. And as our tagline says, we're without an agenda except the gay one. And we're so glad that you uh, found our site, Jason, and are promoting your work right now. It means a lot.
1: And so my question was, do you consider yourself a journalist, an activist, or a blogger?
0: I would say a mix between a journalist and a blogger and a personality. I used to be a radio host just like you.
1: I I remember that you worked at WEEI. Isn't that he, were, yeah. were you with your, part of Jerry Callahan's show?
0: Yes. Jerry's a good friend. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so I, I, that's where I remember. I think I've been on the show when you were on the show. Accurate?
0: Probably. Yes.
1: Yeah. So as a journalist and you're part journalist, part activist. what What's <laughs> so. your journalistic... Uh, justification that a Timu ad that talks about balls deep, Mm. that this is somehow targeted because I think in your piece, because clearly I must be looking at porn or gay porn, or I've outed myself as gay. As a journalist, what's your justification for contending that?
0: My justification for contending that is that if you, you know how display advertisements work on a lot of these websites, right, Jason? They target you for your specific interests. How many times have you been talking to your friends about something and then all of a sudden that very product you're talking about appears on your Instagram feed? You know, and I logged on to ESPN's NFL standings the other day just to do a test. I saw an ad for the Clevelinger Hotel in South Beach, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Why? Because I Google about warm weather destinations and I want to go away and I like Miami in particular. So it makes sense that I would see a targeted ad based on my interest. I don't believe, and you know, I would say hundreds of thousands of people have told you this online, that you would just randomly get a, a, an ad for a very X-rated birthday card just out of the blue. I know you've been tweeting about you know, the Alphabet Mafia is after you and ESPN and Disney are after you. But I don't think it's really that Machiavellian. Alex, These as a journalist, I hear that. Usually we've we've heard a lot of that. Are ads that are targeted I, towards
1: your I got your it. Interest. I got so, it. We've yeah. heard that all over exactly. Twitter. But I, I just want to right. as a journalist, do you think that me tweeting out one TMU ad is an indication of the ads that I see on a regular basis when I visit ESPN, and other websites all day, because I'm on the web all day, you think I don't primarily or all the time get hotel ads or weight loss ads or a bunch of, the only thing I ever get and ever got was this one Timu ad?
0: Well, the Balls Deep birthday card, I think, is different than the Timu ad that you've been talking about. There's been two. That's
1: the same company.
0: Yeah, but different different products. And The r- regardless, card no, It's from
1: Timo, think, but do you think that's that the only ad I ever get <laughs> I or I ever have that, gotten? You,
0: I don't think that, but you did receive it. And it's scary to think, but these algorithm, algorithms don't make a lot of mistakes. So why did you get that ad? That would be the question. To my knowledge, and granted, I'm not paying attention to every banner ad I've ever received. Uh, I'm not getting dirty X-rated birthday cards about being balls deep into somebody. Even though, you know, that might be more fair in my interest than yours. I don't know. But why? That's, that's, that's just the question that but we're asking. I, okay, Alex, tell this me Adam this. Hear?
1: Because, I don't know, but Alex, I'll say this. Because I have a heterosexual view of the world, when I hear balls deep, I think of heterosexual sex. And so I've watched everybody on the internet connect <laughs> balls deep to homosexual sex, and I'm like, oh, I I didn't know that. And so then I went to, I literally today, I went to Google and punched in balls deep to see what would come up to like, cause this is something I didn't know. I interpret the world through a heterosexual lens. I don't hear balls deep and think gay sex. You do, I get why you're gay. And so when I look up the balls deep meaning I see see all kinds of definitions. Deep sexual penetration, which the balls are almost into, can be used as an expression for something overwhelming, exaggerated. Uh, I I saw what most of it, extremely, to the fullest extent. Uh, I I see most of this stuff, balls deep is a sexual expression. It means penetration to your balls. Jason, you're searching balls. Your penis inside her vagina with your driving deep inside. So, again, when I saw the ad, because of the way I'm wired, I'm like, why are they putting this promiscuous heterosexual lust on ESPN? It's well, the Jason, exact got, same I, complaint I, I had I gotta tell you. when I saw a woman in a, in a T-shirt that says, I lick, swallow, and suck, and I complain about that.
0: I gotta tell you, though, Jason, by searching more information about Balls Deep, I think you're only going to get more of these kinds of ads. So... Like a self-defeating I don't care. prophecy. <laughs> so
4: you I, don't, I, I don't then why, care then
0: why did you tweet about it and are making now and congratulations? Because to I you, do but care about
1: that. And I'm trying it. to okay. I'm trying to find out why it's happening. If happens with kids, I'm very well, very much aware that when I go looking into Deshaun Watson or TD Jakes or any of these stuff that I talk about on my show. When I go deep into the raunchiness to figure out what I'm going to talk about on this show, I'm aware that I'm exposing myself to perhaps other raunchy stuff. But yeah. I, I'm just well, telling I would you, you, Well, then maybe when you I saw your the question. words why balls are, deep, yeah. I right. interpreted it from a heterosexual point of view. And I find out when I go like, because I'm like, why is everybody else seeing this as gay? And then I go to the Internet and it backs me up. I'm just like, oh, well, they're wired so, to see things one so, but way, you, I'm wired but you to see are, things another
0: way. But despite your uh, Christian life, you are very familiar with going balls deep into somebody. Is that what we're getting out of this? <laughs>
1: oh, 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 oh Alex! Oh, God, you're a comedian! You're, oh, that is I am. Oh, so funny! Oh, that is... Oh, oh, I just can't stop laughing, that's so funny. Thank you, Jason. You said, are we going to have a real discussion? Because you, you're an activist, a blogger, a comedian, and a journalist. I never
0: said activist. I never said activist. But I, I would sign on to comedian. But I only have a couple minutes left, Jason. I do have a day job that I got I to gotta get back to spreading the gay agenda. So, so uh, there's a couple
5: let more minutes let me just here. get
1: more to a few little factual things in here that are just like, you're a journalist. You say that in 2012... I got fired or blown out at Fox Sports over my Jeremy Lin tweet. Who, who 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 told you that?
0: Well, you did make that tweet about Jeremy Lin, right? And you left Fox Sports shortly thereafter.
1: That's not true.
0: Well, you had a second stint with Fox Sports.
1: No, no, no. I didn't leave shortly thereafter the Jeremy Lin tweet. I left in two thousand thirteen. Well, and Fox uh, Jeremy Sports Lin tweet was, was two th- very Jeremy, Jeremy two thousand
0: twelve. I mean, so it's. I got know, it. And Fox Sports was yeah. very
1: upset when I left. I didn't get blown out. They were upset and mad and thought I double-dealed with them and didn't tell them I was negotiating with ESPN.
0: Like, Jason, I was just you wrote I was here just just that I got bo- I was just I was just hyperlinking to what is has no, been No, no, no. This isn't a hyperlink. This is you a know statement it, of fact. J- Jason, I'm not here to debate minutiae about your career. I <laughs> think. <laughs> I'm here to talk about, as I said, the article, the blog. I, you I know, get the that the facts invented, don't matter
1: yeah. to you, but you're saying that I got fired at AOL Sports. I, that's not true. My Did contract not, out, a- And I took a better contract from uh, Fox Sports.
0: Jason, you've had a long career, a respected career. I used to love watching you on ESPN growing up. I'm just going off of what's been reported elsewhere, reading articles about you for years. I mean, then so I that, that's, that's why I include Fox that language. I got
1: Sports in 2012. You saw that reported elsewhere. Then I, I never, got fired I said in AOL shortly, sports. I, said,
0: I said you left
1: blown out. No, you said I got blown out.
0: Shortly thereafter, Jason, thir- 2013 is not that long after winter of 2012, which is when the Jeremy Lin tweet was made. Correct? So, I mean, me, I think we're just I quibbling over up. semantics here.
1: No, <laughs> I, I think if you say that someone got blown out, let me find, while always difficult, well, Jason, if you want to talk about journalists, after integrity. leaving the star at ESPN, he worked briefly for AL Sports and Fox Sports, blowing himself out of each opportunity. These people were trying to sign me to new contracts, and I took better well, well, contracts it. elsewhere.
0: Well, in the future, Jason, if I were to write about your career, I'll make sure to give you a call. I have your producer's number down, and you can tell me exactly how those conversations went. I was not privy to those conversations, and as I said, I was just I know, because just you're a journalist. Repeating. You don't have
1: to write things you don't know about. You follow me on Twitter. You're familiar with me from your WEEI days. You could have asked questions beforehand. You're making the assumption, like, part of your argument is like, Whitlock got one Timu ad, and that speaks for all the ads he gets anytime he logs on the internet. You're still,
0: you're still getting them. You're still getting them, Jason. You're still getting them. So I'm still, I appreciate I the conversation I know I'm still getting Timu ads. I but, just
1: saw the lick, swallow, and suck one. And again, I don't know. There's millions of other people being subjected to this. And I get that you're pretending well, I, like it only happened to Whitlock.
4: For-
0: it's great you're fighting for all these people who are being wrongly subjected to X-rated birthday card ads about being balls deep. It's a valiant task, and uh, I'm sure your followers thank you. And I thank you, too, for the time, Jason, but i got to go back to spreading the gay agenda at my job. So thanks for the, thank you
1: for the time. Good luck, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for making the time. I, I'm going to... And he's right. I'm about to demonize... Uh, the Alphabet Mafia, so, or, or at least him, it's just like they have an agenda, and they lie to accomplish their agenda. Deception is a huge part of their agenda, and lying, and it it, it is. And if that makes me an anti-gay activist for saying like they got an agenda and I get they don't like me because again, it ain't because I'm an anti-gay activist, it's because I'm a pro-Christian activist. Play tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow.
7: For a break out, feeling like a off, Nothing in life like freedom Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom